Thank you. And I want to thank the witnesses for their testimony. The chair will now recognize members for five minutes for questioning, beginning with myself. My first question is for Ms. Uh, Heather Don Thompson. Beginning with HR 929, my understanding is that the BIA's fee to trust acquisition process prohibits the agency from acquiring land into trust that is environmentally contaminated without first having full remediation. If Congress were not to pass H.R. 929, what steps would the tribe need to take to make the land eligible to be taken into trust through BIA's regulatory process? Thank you for the question, Madam Chair. Um, if you were not to pass, the tribe would be required to mediate, and thus far the estimates go as high as $10 million. Okay. So it's, it's quite cost prohibitive. We run into this situation very frequently, as you can imagine, with tribes that do want to put land into trust because of that regulatory requirement. And we certainly welcome a TA request for a conversation for a path forward beyond the Puyallup tribe. Well, I sure like the idea of the economic development that you have described, uh, Mr. Rideout, and the projects that you are proposing, the idea of another deep water port uh, and the other things, the restaurants, all sound very exciting. I think it's fantastic. I'm a strong advocate for additional economic opportunities for our tribal members and appreciate uh, the, 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 this particular bill for doing that. Again, um, Ms. Thompson, uh, leading up to, turning to H.R. 3579, your testimony mentions that the BIA's mortgage handbook lays out clear timelines for the mortgage review process and that this bill would essentially codify the current timelines. Does BIA meet all of those timelines for all mortgage, mortgage applications at this time? Madam Chair, uh, we do not meet all of the timelines at this time, we, but we have dramatically improved them, and we certainly welcome the challenge to have it codified. Do you have any information you can share with the committee about how BIA has or hasn't met the handbook timelines? What are some of the problems? There's probably four general challenges that we meet, Madam Chairwoman. The first one is staffing, um, which is an appropriation, not an authorization issue. But we estimate that we need approximately 80 FTEs in order to provide the customer service that we would really like to. Um, we are also trying to improve our technology. Um, we are doing that without the appropriations, but we're doing it nonetheless and providing some portals. Um, then there's a one that's rather systemic, which is challenging, which you're probably aware of in Wyoming, which is the fractionization of land. Yes. And so, unfortunately, it's just not as efficient as in the private sector. Um, and then finally, probably the last one is that sometimes we get from lenders the lease and the mortgage at the same time. Uh, and it just takes a moment to do the lease first and then get caught up with the mortgage. Well, we definitely encourage the agency to uh, be able to process these in a timely manner. I think that Ms. Vogel made some very good points in her testimony, and we want to encourage the home ownership. It provides certainty, stability, and all of those things. So thank you for your efforts in that regard. Uh, Mr. Rose, uh, in December 2012, the DOI's Office of the Inspector General found that the foundation was not meeting certain federal requirements in relation to monitoring and assessing spending and creating safeguards against fraud and mistakes. Follow-up audits completed by the Governmental Accountability Office found various deficiencies across the foundation's accountability procedures. How did the foundation respond to these findings? The, uh, the foundation, I think, responded in two respects. Number one, the, the, the foundation engaged in a concerted um, effort 
to overhaul its internal procedures and policies in order to respond to the GAO findings. Number two, the, uh, the foundation embraced the audits that were performed by the Department of the Interior Inspector General, and uh, we implemented the, uh, the findings and corrected some of the, uh, the recommendations that the, uh, the uh, IG from Interior made along the way. And in fact, um, in the last reauthorization, 2019, there was an audit requirement, and the uh, IG from the Interior came out, and during a year and a half to two year period, uh, issued a report with no material uh, weaknesses and no major findings. There were 11 recommendations, primarily process documentation, which we responded to, and the uh, Interior IG determined that we satisfactorily resolved and implemented uh, the recommendations. We appreciate the efforts of the Foundation to meet the audit uh, concerns and to address those and uh, hope that you can continue to stay in compliance as you need to. With that, I'm out of time. I had some other questions for Ms. Vogel, but perhaps some of the other uh, uh, members will, will allow me to do that. But if not, I know they have some good questions as too. With that, I yield back and I am going to uh, uh, call on Ms. Leisure Fernandez for her questioning. Thank you so very much, and my apologies for not being here at the beginning of the hearing, but I actually had a markup in another committee and had to be there to vote and rushed right over because this is an exciting panel because what it is doing is looking at what do we need in Indian country to make sure that we provide economic opportunity, that we grow the middle class in Indian country, which is needed more than perhaps elsewhere, right, because we've been underserved, undersourced for too long. So you range from uh, uh, home ownership, which is key if you are going to sort of build wealth and stability, as noted. And so thank you very much for coming and sharing the experience that you have had with home ownership and things that can be done to make it better, to make it faster. Especially, we should not be slowing those down. It's too important. Interest rates can go up or down, right, in the meantime. Uh, you uh, did point out that it would be very useful to have read-only TAMS access uh, for the CDFIs and for some of the other organizations. Uh, the federal agencies are already covered, but it would be nice to have that. Uh, and I would ask uh, you uh, uh, whether, well, ask you, uh, uh, um, Ms. Thompson, whether you have any objection to that. And uh, because I think that that, I can see the, the, the focus of it. Where are the places that if this is already done, it can be easily accessed to those outside of the federal agency? Thank you so much for the question. Um, we would like to offer language to narrow it to the land records. Not No objection to uh, accessing the land records. The challenge is that TAMS itself is just much bigger. It right. has a lot of private information. Um, but we uh, welcome the opportunity to provide access to the land records and narrow that language with the committee. Okay, that would be great, and perhaps we can work on that so that we can uh, expedite these uh, the mortgages in the future. Uh, I also wanted to uh, ask a bit about the Udall Foundation, and it is great, right? We've all uh, received the benefits. Uh, if you live in New Mexico, if you live in this Arizona, uh, if you work in Indian country, you know what the benefits are. Uh, and part of the issue is that Native Americans uh, have many barriers to interning in D.C. 
uh, I, I want to work on maybe creating more of uh, more opportunities in addition to the Udall Foundation. But can you tell us why uh, some of those barriers will limit uh, the ability of students to intern here? And then that limits kind of what we might call the pipeline so that we could see our Native Americans working in all of our offices, you know, leading and running for Congress and doing everything that they might want to do in the future, creating the opportunity. Mr. Rose, can you speak to that? Sure. Thank you very much for the question. I think there's three points we'd like to make in response to that. <clears throat> One is overcoming an, uh, a barrier through exposure. Mm -hmm. And um, bef even before interns and uh, scholars are eligible for Utah programs, finding ways to expose them to, to Washington. Our Parks and Focus program, I think, is a, is a good way that we, we work with youth in, um, in the area to expose them to our national parks and uh, through curriculum and the like. But I think exposure is one. Second is that we try to remove barriers at the uh, foundation through our uh, uh, supporting the uh, financially the 10 weeks that they're here so it doesn't cost them anything. Um, and then second, uh, supporting the, uh, uh, their transition and experiences in Washington through a full-time aid uh, from the foundation. So m more of those support programs. And then third is, is working with our partners and the fellow uh, in, in the uh, federal government from the interior to CQE, education and the like, to really expose the interns and scholars that are here to uh, the benefit of the programs that they've experienced and the opportunities that present to them. Thank you. And Councilmember Rideout, thank you for uh, bringing to our attention the great interesting economic development opportunities. We're all going to want to go see them. But I think this issue of saying you are willing to take on the liability of uh, the properties because you see what the potentials are and you understand that. Uh, your tribe is com completely comfortable with that, uh, knowing exactly what's on that land. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. It would cost billions to buy back all of our land, which costs us a significant amount of money at this point to get to this point. And we are truly committed to always cleaning up the, the land that is, you know, there, and we're asking for Congress to put in this congressional act. You know, keep in mind, uh, it suppresses us from our uh, usual and accustomed area where we primarily would be the indigenous person we wanted to be. And so as we do this today, it also opens up, you know, other opportunities to take and reacquire our aquatic properties and land basin back so we can always maintain a food source for our lineage and for our, our, our custom of our way of life and uh, you know, our shellfish and our, our other uh, species that we've been forced out of this area. So economic diversity gives the opportunity to expand and, and maintain um, our cultural foods uh, in our region. Thank you very much. My time has expired, and I may submit additional questions in writing. Thank you. Thank you. The chair now recognizes Mr. LaMalfa for five minutes of questions. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, I'd like to direct my questions on the uh, 2882 to Mr. Rose on um, some of the aspects of what uh, is being sought in the appropriations. Um, it looks like, uh, according to my notes, you have it divided into four divisions, Education Trust Fund, uh, uh, Native Nations Center for Studies and Public Policy and the 
Environmental Conflict Resolution Center, and I think that's where it comes in uh, with our experience in my office, is that um, uh, an issue where uh, Udall was brought in on a on a, a land issue up in my part of the the up in my district. Um, essentially, the the Udall came in and uh, convened several meetings in order to establish. Uh, I guess uh, a dialogue with some sides on an issue, and um, it was supposed to head off litigation, which ended up happening anyway, and is just now being resolved after eight years over a simple land issue over something that was actually being mandated by the federal government. So, my office's experience is that uh, one of my staffers uh, attended the first preliminary meeting, which my understanding is that there's actually no Udall folks there in order to stand in for some a different staffer whose area this was. Uh, the, the staffer who then tried to attend the meetings on an ongoing basis was told, oh, no, you can't come in. We've already established the group, even though Udall wasn't directly involved at the first meeting because we've built a trust, okay, even though it was a preliminary meeting where hardly anything happened. So we couldn't put the staffer in the meeting that we chose to. They had to say, oh, you have to stick with this staffer who was just there as a substitute. So that wasn't very productive, nor really establishing a, uh, a dialogue with our office and the people involved, our constituents trying to get something done. And so after um, two years of meetings, basically talking about each other's feelings and things like that, no consensus was reached. The sides basically were farther apart after than what they started with. And so um, I believe that came under the purview of the McCain National Center for Conflict. Is that, would that be its type of jurisdiction? Am I reading that right, sir? Uh, I think so, yes. I'm not familiar, to be honest with you, with the situation. But yes, that sounds like the uh, jurisdiction of the- well, What's the uh, success ratio of heading off legislation, excuse me, litigation, in, uh, I, I, I suppose you're, you're looking for resolutions in right. what, what kind of success ratio have you shown for that? I don't have, Congressman, I don't have a specific uh, percentage for you. But my You're asking for $4 million to con continue doing that in that division, yes. correct? That's correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you can't give us an idea of the success ratio or whatever? I can give you a, a general idea that uh, my understanding is that the center... Uh, reaches resolutions uh, more often than not without litigation. That's certainly the effort that uh, the foundation, McCain Center for Environmental Dispute Resolution, is engaged in. That's how they're trained, uh, and that's how they work with uh, the constituents that uh, are retaining the Udall Foundation's uh, services in order to achieve a resolution to a particular environmental dispute. Environmental dispute, all right. So in, in our experience, uh, it did not remove anybody in the room. Instead, brought a, uh, a, a greater angst and litigation for somebody from outside of the area that has no really stake in it other than they wanted to establish one. And the, um, there was at least two years of delay caused by everybody like, well, let's see what comes from that. So... Is, does that sound like a win to you? Well, Congressman, what I'd, 
uh, like to do, uh, if it's okay with you, is, uh, is talk with our team at the Udall Foundation and then respond in writing to your question because I don't think that I can, I can fairly respond to uh, the situation that you're describing, including the role of the Udall Foundation, without that kind of information. But I'm, uh, uh, I do consider it a, um, uh, an obligation on my part to respond to your question, and I'll do that. Okay, well, uh, the, the group purports to be helping tribes and ended up in this particular situation of going against the tribe that was trying to establish an enterprise there that was opposed by out-of-towners for some really very flimsy reasoning. So um, the other issue, the other areas of issue you have in your mission here look okay to me, but uh, I would like to recommend my committee colleagues that the $4 million um, portion of the appropriation for the environmental conflict resolution be struck because it was not productive and indeed drove people farther apart. So with that, Madam Chair, I'd like to yield back. Thank you, Mr. LaMalfa. Uh, the chair now recognizes Mr. Grijalva for five minutes of questioning. Sorry, the, the real, very real case that you run into with legacy pollution, finding liability and who's responsible is almost an impossible task which then shifts it either to the agency to do the remediation or, in this instance, the tribe to do the remediation that is cost-wise almost impossible to me. Uh, are efforts conducted to trace responsible parties so that they have some responsibility uh, for that legacy pollution left behind? And I don't know the answer to that specific question, Congressman, so I'll ask and get you the answer that you requested. Yeah, I, I think it's the, there's a lot of, you can't just walk away sometimes right. and, 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 and shift the cost, whether it's a tribe or, and this most of the time if it's a trust land issue, it's a tribe that you shift the cost to. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, but the, the legislation is good. Councilman, and I, and I support it very much. The, the other issue, is, Secretary, has to do with capacity that I mentioned in my opening statement. As we expedite, make more efficient, and you mentioned the FTEs that are needed, a mandated codified law that sets the timelines, which I support, without the capacity to meet those guidelines, wouldn't that make it we don't, aren't we in the same situation with a codified law, the pressure to meet those deadlines, and the capacity not there to deliver? It's a challenge, sir. It's, it's certainly a challenge, and we would um, welcome any additional appropriations to make sure that we have the appropriate staffing and technology to serve our customers. I think the intent is excellent. I think the mandate codified into law is appropriate and right, but... You hate to set up not just the agency, but the expectations in Indian country that now with this mandated timeline, things will move faster. They'll be more efficient. And yet we're going to lack the capacity to actually keep our promise in, with that regard to Indian country. I, I would, Madam Chair, think that that is an important adjacent letter that this committee can send to appropriators relative to uh, this very important question so we can back up 
this very good piece of legislation. Uh, Mr. Rose, thank you for being here, and I'm a fan of Udall and, uh, and a beneficiary of interns and fellows and, and the Institute as well, and uh, they've been uh, great contributors to policy and to legislation on this committee, and uh, I congratulate you and the Udall Foundation for the generations of indigenous people that, have, that are assuming leadership across this country. Uh, my question is, uh, kind of following up on Mr. Lamajo on the conflict resolution issue. Uh, I think it's an important function. Right. Uh, and, and one of the, as you are, you, might, you said, we're retained for those services. Uh, you know, for the information of the committee, uh, a list of the retainees. Who are the people that retain okay. your services? Uh, is it private sector? Is it governments? Is it tribes? Is it nonprofits? What is that list of retainers? Uh, I, I, I think it's important to see the breadth of who is asking for the services. And, and sometimes, at least my experience with a conflict matter in, in Arizona, having to do with one of our perpetual conflicts, having to do with a mine, uh, the Udall Center is brought in at the behest of parties at the most at the most bitter embittered part of the conflict and right. I would and their chance of success right. was uh, at that point limited the conversations occurred there was no resolution because <coughs> uh, the lines had been drawn already and right. I, I think right. it, the conflict resolution that I've seen work from from the Udall Foundation early on the meeting the collaboration and work that out Right. When you come into a situation that's already embittered and divided, right. and the lines have been drawn, right. I don't know how you do that. Yeah, it's very difficult to move forward. And Congressman, in response to your request, we will uh, provide you with a list. Appreciate it. Yield back now, Chair. Thank you. The Chair now recognizes uh -huh. Mr. Moyland for five minutes of questioning. Thank you, Madam Chair. I thank the witnesses for their explanations on these three measures. It's very helpful and understanding that these 17 acres will be saving the money, will save money to by going through the trust uh, for residential and business uh, usage. Hopefully through the conflict resolution that these families will be able and businesses will be able to get their mortgage to build the economy and help the families put a roof over their heads. So I thank you very much. And with that, Madam Chair, I wish to yield the remainder of my time to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I, I do want to say one thing about the conflict resolution uh, as, as a long-term trial attorney and someone who tends to represent landowners, resource producers, and things like that. I do think that's extremely important for an organization that is dedicated to dispute resolution that you understand the local issues that are involved with many of these things. And oftentimes when outside environmental groups come in and attempt to dictate the, the, the outcome on some of these, I, I think it is extremely important that the local tribal issues, the, the local landowner issues, the local water issues are kind of front and center in the efforts to resolve those matters because they are critical to the success of those areas in the long term. And in the long term, they're critical to our ability to protect our environment as well. So 
I would follow up with Mr. LaMalfa on that. Ms. Vogel, I just have a couple of questions for you. Again, I appreciate your testimony. I also think that home ownership is so critically important. And it's always frustrating to me when I read about or learn about um, there being barriers to people being able to uh, obtain the housing that they need. And I get especially frustrated when those barriers are from the government. And I understand the challenges there and encourage you to continue to work with folks like Ms. Vogel to resolve them. In your testimony, you mentioned long delays and inconsistencies with the BIA mortgage process that have been experienced by tribal members. Can you further elaborate on what those experiences have been like for tribal members? Well, as we know, um, thank you for the question, Madam Chair. Um, as we know, the mortgage process um, is time sensitive. And, and when you start the process, your financial records may only be good for, you know, three months, and then you have to renew everything. That is where the frustration comes in, is having to renew the time-sensitive documents that your lender may require. But also, I am encouraged by something, and it, um, it happened with our own um, agency, BIA agency staff, is as more tribal members become homeowners and go through that process. They have an appreciation for it and they understand it. And then they know the importance of getting it done. So a lot of work has to be done to make you know, uh, homeownership possible, uh, opportunities possible. And as more and more professional staff that before didn't own their home and step into that, then they become our supporters. So in those areas where you have had that happening, you see better results. Success begets success. Yes. Well, that's wonderful to hear. I, I think that's fantastic to know uh, that just the personal experience is making a difference there where people can help the next uh, generation uh, into home ownership. And can you give us an average time that it takes for a tribal member to obtain a mortgage? Um, as I stated, it really varies from region to region, and uh, where you have um, where you have partnerships at the local level that are working to do homebuyer readiness and getting families ready and help them understand the mortgage um, process, you know, so that they know what to expect on what their responsibilities are. They understand what the lender is expecting. So as they move through that process. Um, they, um, they, the times, they understand the time frame, and it just works when you have that active engagement by partners. And so with the South Dakota Native Homeownership Coalition, our work is all around that, making sure that lenders understand the processes on tribal lands, um, identifying more lenders to enter in so that you have better competition. And when you have federal, um, um, state agencies working alongside tribal agencies, then we all are able to help each other and advocate for policy change or what what other changes are needed. So um, there's there's progress being made, and there's still work that has to be done, but it's worth the effort. Well, I appreciate Thank that. You. And very quickly, uh, Councilman Wrightout, could you please give us a timeline in terms of your restaurant? Because I'm kind of a foodie, and I'd like to come and visit it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we're looking at the first quarter of next year. Fabulous. Is the first uh, uh, Roy Yamaguchi says. All right. Along with the seaplane, too. So if you want to take a ride. and I'll take know, a seaplane yeah. before dinner. Yeah. 
and then I then I'll come and eat at the restaurant. But rest I'll time. leave you with this, and it's really critical to our vice chair. Our um, when it comes to our youth. You know, our vocational training is the most imperative thing that we could possibly do because our future is in our youth. And so as we develop this and, and encourage them to, you know, take this opportunity to a very um, gridlocked reservation. I was, I was talking to Ms. Vogel, you know, uh, and her size of her reservation is, you know, astronomical. And like it was stated in the record, it was 1,200 acres of land you know, on, on our reservation. And all these are opportunities to make sure we can acquire everything that we potentially can back and do it the right way. But we work well with all the municipalities, and I want to thank each and every one of you today. Well, and I want to, I want to thank you for your dedication to your tribe and your area and for the next generation. Um, so with that, I want to thank the witnesses for your valuable testimony, and I also want to thank all the members for your questions today. The members of the committee may have some additional questions for the witnesses, and we will ask you to respond to those in, wet, in writing. I think, Mr. Rose, you're going to be providing some additional information, and I think, Ms. Thompson, there might have also been a request for you. Under committee rule three, members of the committee must submit questions to the committee clerk by 5 p.m. on Monday, July 17, 2023, and the hearing record will be open for 10 business days for those responses. If there is no further business... Without objection, the committee stands adjourned.